Welcome to the radio rally on Clubhouse. What you're about to hear will be focused on lifting you up, giving good advice, hearing the stories of some amazing radio people, and uncovering the path forward in radio right now. Today's live event will also be a podcast called The Encouragers, the Radio Rally Podcast, and will be available with in about an hour, maybe later, but certainly tonight of the end of this live event, wherever you get your podcast. Our special thanks to Joe Kelly for producing our podcast events at JustJoeProductions.com for creating our audio footprint and distributing them. Meet our guests live on Clubhouse or subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a thing. The Encouragers Innovation and Audio Podcast is one of our two podcasts. We also have one called The Encouragers, the Radio Rally Podcast. Both are available right now on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Today is Monday, September 20th. And of course, we've got John Zellner, very fortunate to have him, president of Programming Operations, iHeart National Programming Group, New York, New York. And of course, Annalise Kaplan. And you know I'm not going to try to do that hyphenated thing. We'll get to that later. She does mornings with Cash Warren on 97.3 The Eagle in Norfolk. Before we get started with today's guest for this live event on Clubhouse, don't forget that next Monday, September 27th, our Chicago to Nashville Connection live event will feature Austin Huff, who does mornings as part of the morning show of Melissa and Austin on US 99 in Chicago. And he will be joined by Becca Walls, manager of audio content. Listen to all these jobs that Becca has. She's the manager of audio content, manager and host with Big Machine Label Group Nashville, on-air Nashville reporter with the Bud and Broadway syndicated morning show, and Nashville correspondent for Sun Broadcasting Group's AmeriCountry Prep. Both of them will be here next Monday, so make sure that you are too. You can see our guest calendar, by the way, that goes all the way through October, and we're about to start scheduling some early November stuff as well. It's available on our free blog at rainmakerpathway.com. Of course, it's important to point out that we have encouragement for on-air and promotions with our more than live and local guest series, and even more encouragement for local sellers with with our encouraging sales success series, as well as free resources for anyone in the radio business today. We don't lock away anything on our site as other consultants do. Why do we do that? Well, it's so that you can go to rainmakerpathway.com anytime and see what you can get for free from our team. Please do follow the people on the stage at this event and look around the room for people that you can connect with while you're here tonight. Of course, we do encourage you to do that. Networking is a big part of building a robust broadcast career. My name is Lloyd Ford, and I'm with Rainmaker Pathway Consulting Works. Many of the best companies in North America, no matter what kind of business they're in, they hire outside consultants to do uh to get an outside perspective so that they don't get all their thinking internally. 
Our clients love our exclusive products like our Music Lab, which prevents music drift, our Branding Candy, which hyper-focuses on your brand images for success, and of course, our morning show, Fame Development Coaching, that puts the accent and the action in the right place to create the correct audience consequences. We like consequences when they're good, right? If you know someone who needs help, reach out anytime, Ford, F-O-R-D, at RainmakerPathway.com. First person I always like to check in uh, with on these live events, of course, is Heather Froglier in Riverside, San Bernardino. How are you, Heather? I'm good. It's hot again. I know. Can't... Uh, yeah, it's like uh, we got another heat wave coming. I'm over it. Well, you know, it's only temporary because I hear that fall is coming and fall football's here. So we know it's coming. We've seen the evidence. <laughs> Everything so is listen, good. How are you, Lloyd? I'm really good. I've got a really great quote about you I want to use right now. It is from a K-Frog listener, and here it is. Quote, now this person is talking directly about you. I know you've probably seen this. She has an awesome sense of humor and is a very beautiful person. Now that's from that's from Leslie Taylor, who is a San Bernardino resident and longtime KFRG listener. Best of Inland Empire 2021, best local radio personality, the 26th poll. You seem to just float to the top of these things. I want to know how are you producing that kind of love directly with listeners? Oh gosh. I was just as surprised as you were last week when that came out. Um this was a reader's poll for the Press Enterprise, which mm -hmm. is a big paper out here. And I did see her quote, and I, I don't know her, but I, I'm assuming she's a, a listener to KFrog. And it was just, you know, really sweet. I, I was, uh, you know, kind of taken aback by that. I kind of think that maybe it's because I've been here so long, and I think I'm probably oh. one of the only stable radio people, you know, in this area you know i'm sorry are you claiming to be stable well i wouldn't say stable but <laughs> i mean maybe my name is easy to remember i don't know i'm just really mm. grateful that was a really nice you know feather in my cap and i'm very appreciative of that it's always nice to you know receive those kinds of um accolades from your audience you know made my heart feel good yesterday or last week so well, you know, I'm not going to let you totally get away with that because one of the reasons that you're on this event every week is because you are such a positive influence. And I know that radiates out to your listeners. And of course, I know your bosses uh, also feel this way. Listen, who do you have for today's live event? Check this out, Lloyd. Her name is Annalise Lemieux Kaplan. Did I do it right? Lemieux. It's I a long one. Close. I, I'm French, so I thought I would nail it, but I didn't do very well. Annalise, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I was so excited when you both reached out about this, and it's kind of full circle because I would listen to these religiously every Monday this past spring when I was job searching for my new job. So this is so cool. Oh, I remember that. Lloyd and I both remember you attending and you had some really good questions and yeah, full circle because here you are now doing mornings with Cash Warren at the Eagle in Norfolk, Virginia. Yes. And congratulations to you, by the way. That How many months have you been there now? Thank you so much. It was actually two months this past weekend. Congratulations. Happy two month anniversary. Um, can you give us, you know, a brief journey through, you know, how you got into radio and where all you've been? 
Absolutely. So I am one of those people, I'm guessing like most of us in the business who has been obsessed with radio since they were a kid. It especially um, really grew into quite an obsession. When I was seven years old, my dad, and he actually still does this to this day over 20 years later, he records PSAs for the company that he works at back home in Maine. And he had the opportunity to do a production recording at my favorite top 40 station, um, Q97.9 in Portland, Maine. And he took me with him and the afternoon host gave me a tour around the building in the studio while my dad was recording. I got to pick out a CD and like pick a song for him to play on air. And that experience just blew my mind as a seven-year-old. And I was like, that is what I'm going to do as an adult someday. And I mean, many, many years and experiences later, I am doing that. I uh, went to college down in Charlotte, North Carolina amazing city and of course a great market for radio had the opportunity to do some fantastic internships there and i actually stayed a year after college to attend the charlotte campus of the connecticut school of broadcasting which it was going to broadcasting school that really helped me solidify that radio was my path and not tv news because i i did consider doing tv you know they do have their similarities after broadcasting school, I moved up to Burlington Plattsburgh, that market up in Vermont, for my first full-time job where I was afternoons for a rhythmic CHR and a fill-in for overnights and mornings on their Heritage Hot AC. Then I moved a year later in 2018 to Charlottesville, Virginia, came back south, originally was doing country afternoons at the brand new country station, Seville Country, but due to some shifting in the building, which we all know happens in radio, I was moved in to do mornings with the production director, Mark, who's one of my best friends in the industry. And we spent two and a half years doing mornings on the Heritage AC, Z95.1. And then after seven long months of job searching to get into a bigger market between 2020 and 2021, I've now been here in Norfolk, Virginia Beach doing country mornings with cash since July. That's crazy. I remember when you were in between jobs. So this has been a, a significant move for you. Tell me, yes. you know, why you decided to uproot? Because, you know, we can all take jobs anywhere, but, you know, having to uproot your family and your dogs and cats and everything is a big decision. So what, what drew you to Norfolk? Absolutely. So th that's a two-part answer. Um, first of all, I absolutely love living in the Southeast, even though I'm originally from New England. As I said earlier, I loved my college experience in Charlotte, North Carolina, and just really fell in love with this part of the country. And Charlottesville, Virginia, where I was for three and a half years, great little area, but it is very much a college town. And I'm a city girl. Charlotte kind of ruined me going to school in a city of almost a million people. And my vision for my life was always to kind of settle down and, you know, want to meet someone in more of a major city, not just for my career, but also, you know, things like shopping and airports and entertainment opportunities and all of that stuff. So, you know, getting into my later 20s, I really did start to think, you know, Charlottesville has been great. It was a great time living there, but not really the type of place that I'd want to settle down. And now seems like the time to make the move. And the second part of that answer is more career focused, whereas that I have so many dreams and career goals with radio that I came to the sad realization that some of those will just never happen in a 200 size market as small as Charlottesville. You know, things like, for example, I was a music director up there, but we're an unrated market. We didn't work with any labels. So I was kind of like, oh, like, you know, I feel like 
this is just the busy work part of being a music director. And, you know, I wanted that artist interaction and, you know, just to work in a place with large scale promotions. And that's having a lot of concerts come through and stuff. I knew that if I never tried to take that leap and stayed in Charlottesville, it would always be a regret. Sure. Um, mornings are not easy on the internal body clock. This I know. Do you prefer, you know, being an early bird? Do you prefer it to afternoons? You know, I actually don't mind it that much. And I consider myself very lucky that it has been a fairly easy transition. I'm very strict about my weeknight bedtimes. Like, you know, if I'm out with girlfriends on a weeknight, I will set an alarm on my phone to leave by 7.30 so I can be getting home before eight o'clock. Um, of course, you know, there are evenings where it's not ideal and I've had to make some lifestyle changes. Like I don't watch any of my favorite TV shows live anymore. I have to watch everything the next day or later in the week. But overall, that seems like such a small price to pay for having the best job. And I also love the fact I don't have to get up at three on Saturday and Sunday. So. <laughs> true, true. Now you had never worked with cash before, correct? No, we just met two months ago. <laughs> so, I mean, how how was that for you? Because morning shows become sort of like a marriage, like a work marriage. And, you know, everybody has quirks. And did you both, you know, just kind of grind it out and say, OK, here's the vision that we're seeing for the show. And, and you know, did you guys mesh right away? I will be honest with you. I was so nervous to meet Cash for the first time, especially because I had the best relationship in the world with my former co-host, Mark. We're still very dear friends. And I knew that, you know, whatever that next job leap would be, it would be a transition. And I was nervous. But what struck me about Cash from the first time I got to meet him in my interview was that we have a similar story and that we have both chased our radio dreams. We're both from very small hometowns. He's from New Mexico. I'm from Maine. So a little different geographically, but both of us have just been chasing this radio dream all over the country and not being scared to move to new states or new cities and, you know, work our way up in these small markets. So knowing that he had a story like mine and, you know, he's more of a veteran than I am. He has a lot more experience. I was just thrilled with the chance to work with him here in Norfolk, Virginia Beach. That's awesome. You know, uh, it seems like a lot of folks, you know, have that one, you know, light bulb moment where whether it's your first remote or your first interaction in person with a listener or whatnot, a moment where you knew, okay, this is definitely what I want to do. Did you have a standout moment early in your career where you were like, yeah, this is what I need to I guess the initial one would be the story I shared when I was seven, you know, visiting the station with my dad. But as far as actually getting to do radio, you know, as an adult, it would probably be my first day of broadcasting school in Charlotte. It was a big leap of faith for me to do that after undergrad, where um, my parents, they actually very much supported me doing broadcasting school, but they were very clear that they would not financially support it. So, you know, that was a big financial burden to take on right after finishing undergrad when all of my college friends, you know, were moving into their first full-time jobs and like, I'm still a student. But I remember that first day of broadcasting school in my first radio class, I just had this feeling of peace that I was exactly where I was supposed to be. And the extra year of school would be worth it. And, you know, get me to that dream career, which is so true. Yeah. I'm so glad I did it. How do you maintain your passion? Because we all know, you know, when we crack the mic, you know, we can't, let our problems show up on the air, you know, our personal problems. How do you stay focused and passionate and excited about radio every day when you're having those off? 
Oh, absolutely. I would say, like many of my answers, this is a two-part answer, which I apologize for all of these. The first part would be honestly just becoming friends through social media, through you know Facebook groups, Instagram, LinkedIn, with so many amazing radio folks, just like yourselves from all over the country. I mean, I, I was just telling my parents recently, you know, it seems like these days my Facebook feed is mostly radio friends that I don't even know in real life, but like seeing everyone's updates about their career milestones and what they're doing at their stations, I feel like it just invigorates me. I also love to read the trades. I'm a total nerd for that. And I read, you know, All Access most days and Radio Insight and all of that stuff to stay up to date. And then my second answer, is having a life outside of radio. I am such a firm believer that, you know, the show is not my whole life. My whole identity is not found in radio, especially the way the industry is these days with sadly, you know, so many folks losing their jobs with such frequency. I think it is the healthiest thing in the world to have a life outside of it. Um, here in Norfolk, Virginia Beach, I'm so excited. I just signed up to join the junior league here. So I'm excited to do some volunteering and make friends. I have my lifestyle blog, Southern Bell and Training that I work on outside of work. You know, I have a, in Charlottesville had a great social life and was involved in a church. And I think just, you know, doing, making it intentional to do things outside of work is so important. Yeah. And it also, I think helps, you know, a lot with your brand, you know, when you can stay busy and you can be all over, you know, social media and the fact that you're interacting with your audience, that is so important. We can post shit all day long, but if you are not following up with your listeners, that's, you know, that's not something that's going to work. So what platform would you say, Annalise, um, is your favorite to, to work on? Would you say Facebook, Instagram, Twitter? What what works for you? Actually, my favorite thing in the world is my actual blog, my website, Southern Mill and Training. It just celebrated nine years last week. So I've had that for double the time that I've been working in radio. I started it as a hobby in college and it's moved into a monetized side hustle, which has been really fun. Nice. Um, and I love that too, because I own the website. You know, you're not at the mercy of a social media platform, but for actual social media, I'm actually a huge fan of Twitter. It's my favorite. I am surprised to hear you say that. Uh, Twitter has gotten like, it's gotten pretty crazy over the it, last it has, couple of years. But, it, but it, it's very entertaining, right? It's, you know, say what you want to say and jump off. But Yes. <laughs> It's fun to share links, a uh, great link sharing uh, platform there for sure. Who who are who have you, your mentors been? Do you have a Mount Rushmore of mentors? Do you have one specific or two specific, somebody that you really looked up to in radio or somebody that you found along the way to help? I have two wonderful guys and I credit both of them so much for just supporting me through the past year. Um, first and foremost, Charlie Nance, who is Country Afternoons with his wife, Debbie, on 103.7 WSOC in Charlotte. He was one of my teachers in broadcasting school, and we um, stayed in touch very much after I left, which, gosh, I finished that five years ago now. So we've been in touch for five years, and he's just, we usually do a phone call like every few months just to talk about where I'm at at my current station and goals. And, you know, he's just been a, a wealth of wisdom and become a good friend over the years as well. The other one is a newer mentor, but equally important, Chase Murphy, who was most recently at Mix 96.5 in Houston. I was connected with him right around this time. It was September of last year through a mutual radio friend. And he just helped me so much with my very lengthy job searching process over this past year and has also been a great source of encouragement. Chase is a super, super human. I agree. Isn't he? 
Yeah, he really is. He's one of those good eggs. Um, before I let you go and, and turn it over to Lloyd, what what would you say you are most excited about right now in radio or the future of radio? Well, on a personal level, I'm such a dork, you know, being new to working in a top 50 market at work, I'm just excited about everything. Like I've just recently been working my first remotes and just the fact that we have something called a street team here in Norfolk is mind blowing because in Charlottesville, we don't even have a promotions director. You're doing it all as a one man operation. So it's just little things like that being in a large market that I get so excited about at work every day. Um, as far as in general for radio, not my career specifically, I really do believe that both millennials and Gen Z will be helping to shape radio into something awesome in the years to come. I don't think it's going anywhere. I think that streaming is kind of a complement to radio, like streaming serves its own purposes and radio serves a different one for local communities. And I'm just excited. Thank you so much, Annalise. I love that. I love that advice. I like your your gumption, your passion. Congratulations on, on the new gig and everything. Thank you. That's so awesome to get to know you a little bit better. I'm going to throw it to Lloyd. We'll have you hang on just for a little bit. and um, Sure. Some folks might have some questions for you. I, for one, always get excited about passion. When you hear it, it's like nothing else. And certainly you hear that in the voice of both of those ladies. I want to say thanks to Heather for that interview and also to Annalise. Now, you can catch Heather's show on the K-Frog stream and a variety of other stations out west, too. As you know, she is on a lot of radio stations. The Radio Rally is our weekly Monday opportunity to visit with radio, with our group, The Encouragers. Make your mark. If you haven't liked The Encouragers yet, do it tonight while you're on here. We have at least two events every single week designed to help you grow your radio and audio career. Hey, don't forget tomorrow, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Uh, tomorrow, how's your ratings? How's your revenue? Um, better text your market manager and tell him about our next live event because tomorrow you can look for us to share details about Fituri's large national research study that's just been completed with Smith Geiger. Tomorrow we're going to do this directly linked to listener behavior after, well, I would love to say after the pandemic, but it feels like it's kind of stretching on for us. But let's just say after the lockdowns, for sure, uh, what is it that they want? They're going to tell us. You're going to actually hear audio from listeners talking about radio. And we're going to get to point by point talk about the discoveries in that research project. That is going to happen at 7 p.m. Eastern tomorrow, 4 p.m. Pacific, right here on Clubhouse. Our special guest will be Erin Callahan. She is the Director of Enterprise Partnerships with Fituri. We also have a second special event. If you can't tell, we really are the encouragers. We are here to encourage your radio career and not just with words, right? So our second special event is October 1st. For this, you can text your program directors, your music directors, because it's a big one. If you're serious about programming, developing audience for your radio station or developing audience anywhere with music, or you just want to be the best music director in your market. This is a must attend live event. Make time for a one-time learning opportunity. We are calling it the Friday night live event with Guy Zapolian. So 
we're going to do it's called music research and rotations and basically here's what we're going to talk about music music discovery research and rotations then and now with guys apoleon you don't want to miss that our next guest well he used to be the vice president for cbs radio uh, by the way, he also used to be the executive vice president for Sirius XM. What in the world is he doing today? Well, he is the president programming operations for iHeartMedia. He, he's got this experience that's wide spanning. And of course, he's at the very heart of iHeartMedia today. 860 radio stations, 158 markets serving 271 million monthly listeners. No pressure. Welcome, John Zellner, to the Encouragers and the Radio Rally. How are you, John? I'm doing great, Lloyd. It's nice to see you and good to be here. Thanks for having Man. me. I'm so glad we scheduled this uh, late in the evening so that somebody like you that's as busy as you can can carve out a little time and be with us because I'm sure you are completely covered up. It's let's get good. this yeah, let's get this out of the way early. You and I both have met Wolf Wolfman Jack. Now that puts some age <laughs> on us, I'm sure. So yeah. uh, first, is that correct? And second, can you tell us about your experience with Wolfman Jack? Yeah, I was seven years old. Um, I grew up in New, in, um, New Jersey. My mom was taking me on the NBC tour. Um, and, uh, you know, part of that tour was to see the Saturday Night Live studio. Um, but the best part of it was to see the WNBC studio. Um, and Wolfman was on the air. He was doing a break. And, you know, he came out after he was on the air and shook my hand. And, and um, you know, it, it was probably the coolest thing as a child because, you know, I grew up as an only child. I had probably way too much free time on my hands as a kid um, and radio and listening to radio was really my connection to the outside world. Um, I grew up listening to stations like 99X and WABC and WNBC um, and WPLJ and eventually Z100. And, and um, you know, uh, so that was that was when it really hit me that, man, I really want to be on the radio and program radio stations. It just looked like so much fun. You got it really honest, the radio bug for sure. By the way, yeah. uh, I don't know if you know this, but Wolfman Jack used to, as a side hustle, he would go out and he would go to radio stations and make appearances. And when I was yep. in high school, he went to the smallest town in Georgia where I happened to be. And he did an event with us and it was pretty crazy to meet him and see him. And of course, you know, I, I don't know of anybody who at that point would be more uber famous than him from radio. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was he was full of energy, um, you know, and one of the first things that I did when I got to Sirius XM was I sort of relived my childhood and and I brought back the Casey Kasem AT40 shows to the mm. 70s and 80s channel. And I brought back the old Wolfman Jack shows uh, to the 60s channel just because I I just thought that, you know, those those stations were always designed uh, as moments in time as opposed to right. most of the, of the classic hit stations today, which, you know, everything about them is contemporary except the music. I mean, those Correct. were really designed to be different and so i thought that would have been a cool thing to do so so it was fun plus wolfman had that voice you know as eh, wolfman jack you know <laughs> how did he well, get right. that done right I, so iconic well, and then of course right after i met him i saw the movie american graffiti and that's when right. I, man this is just it's too much you know so so i think about a year later my mom you know i grew up in south orange until i was about 
uh, nine and then moved to Franklin Lakes. But my mom took me uh, to visit WSOU in, in South Orange at Seton Hall. Uh, and the jock actually put me on the air at the time. Um, and then my high school in Franklin Lakes had a 10 watt radio station, mono, right? Which means if you played mm. songs that weren't compatible, it would be like karaoke, but um, yeah. it served all of all of Bergen County. And, and I joined the station as a freshman and, and I became the program director as a sophomore. And one of the first things I did was back in the day, the FCC passed a law saying that they weren't protecting stations under 100 watts. Um, and William Patterson College wanted our frequency. So mm. I had to make a, a you know, this big presentation to the New Jersey Board of Education. Um, and I think the governor was there about the importance of keeping this radio station on the air. It was actually the second high school station to launch in the country. It had been on the air about 20 years at the time. Um, you know, and that was my foray into making presentations when I was a, a sophomore in high school. So. Well, that's so interesting. I'm going to check uh, two things that you and I have in common because I went to California uh, as a freshman and they enrolled me in a class that was a radio broadcast class. We had our own radio station at the high school. They thought I couldn't speak English, John, because <laughs> I, I spoke Southern. They, they really thought, oh, he might right. be retarded. We need to put him in these classes. And uh, by my sophomore year, I was running the radio station. It was really kind of cool. So you nice. got to tell us about little John Zellner. Now, you, you know <laughs> this fella, okay? Uh, um, uh, we can look at your title, President Programming Operations, iHeartMedia. That's pretty intimidating, but you're just a person. Right. Clearly, you are a person who works hard and builds great relationships. We like to get at the heart of things on the encouragers. Can you tell us really uh, when you really felt like you got started for real in radio? Where were you and what were you like back then? Yeah, I mean, I've always loved radio. It was it's been a pretty consistent interest my whole life. And and um, there were a few select people that actually returned my calls back in the day. So I remember when I was starting out in the business that I always uh, said that I would return every phone call. Eventually, I didn't know that there would be email at some point. Right. Mm. But, but I said, listen, if I want uh, to achieve my goals, I I'm going to get back to people when they reach out. I think it's it's common courtesy. Um, um, and good business. And so after I graduated Ohio University, I went to OU because they had uh, seven radio stations and three TV stations right on campus. And I worked at most of them. Um, but I was a broadcast journalism major at Ohio University. And after I graduated, I actually got um, a job as a news writer for the the Associated Press. I worked out of the Columbus, Ohio Bureau and everybody there sort of, um, you know, looked and acted like Lou Grant. You know, they were you know, <laughs> old, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. great. Yeah. I, I came in right now. I'm like ready to go. I'm like, hey, guys, how are you? And, and they were like, slow down, kid. You're making us look bad. You know, so my job was to take print copy and turn it into broadcast copy. Right. So I would take mm -hmm. these, you know, eight paragraphs of very extensive copy copy and try to get the lead and write them, you know, as three or four sentences for broadcast, which is actually incredible experience in life because sure. um, I'm trying to think of who the author 
the famous author that said, I didn't have time to write you a short letter, so I wrote you a long one instead because editing is very, very challenging, right? It is. Um, and, and so, um, you know, that was the first year, but I was like, man, I can't stay here and be a news writer. I really want to be in radio, you know, so I gave up that mm -hmm. very high paying job to go oh, and sure. work, work overnights at WQIO in Mount Vernon, Ohio. And and I made the mistake when I had the job interview because I was so excited to leave the news writer job that when the program director asked me what my salary expectations were, I said I wanted the job so badly that I would do it for free. <laughs> you know, oh. not a wise thing to say in a job interview. So oh. they paid me they paid me minimum wage at the time, which was 365 an hour um, and then when they moved me to late nights my big promotion they raised me to 375 an hour you know and and so I lived in Columbus my girlfriend at the time who is now my wife of 32 years was still oh. at, was still down at OU in Athens so I, I I I would leave my my apartment in Columbus drive like 40 miles uh, to Mount Vernon get off the air and drive another hundred miles down to Athens I got three speeding tickets in one month lost my drive license and I was too ashamed to tell my boss that I lost my license so I actually cabbed it to and from work each day so I'd be earning about $20 a day and spending about $80 a day on oh. cab fare you know and oh. it's like I'm no math major but that was obviously not a lucrative situation so, well, so wait, the goal wait, then was wait, to get a job in Columbus so but you don't <laughs> always do things for money and clearly right. I mean right. you know that this woman loves you you had a minimum <laughs> wage job she married you you've been married she to her did. all this time she you did. know it's yeah. for real right yeah yeah she actually had a great job as a uh, uh, as a marketing director at a law firm once we graduated college and and then we found out that we were expecting our first baby after we're married about mm. six months and and she said you know how about if I don't go back to work um, after we have the baby and I said that's fine you know <laughs> right so yeah, then we right. ended up we either we either got married um, had a baby or moved every year for seven years you know <laughs> so well then that's the radio story so look when I look across your radio career <laughs> you, you know you've worked for some pretty iconic companies Sirius yeah. XM CBS yeah. radio nationwide Eden's <laughs> great trails uh, what what is your learning curve like in other words could you give us a couple of examples of major jumps forward in your thinking between say great trails in 1988 and <laughs> iHeartMedia today i realize that's like wow. that's probably a bunch of leaps but just give us kind yeah. of a, some ideas of how you got here yeah i i mean i really think you know for anybody that's been in radio as long as i have the telecom act of 1996 really changed the game and it changed the world that we all knew you know over 2000 radio companies disappeared in a very short time you know so it back in the day it used to be about market size and moving around a lot and I think now it's more about finding people that you enjoy working with and finding a city that you enjoy living in. And the advice I got when I was starting out was never to burn a bridge um, and always be looking two jobs ahead in your career and ask yourself if the next job that you're getting uh, will help you get to the job after that. You know, so so I knew I was a good jock. I was never a great jock. I wanted to become a music director by 25. I wanted to become a program director 
director by 30. I wanted to program multiple stations by 35 and be ahead of programming by the age of 40. And, and so I had these five-year plans, um, you know, and, and I didn't always choose correctly. I mean, I, I, I usually give out the advice, don't take a job for money uh, or promises, right? right and there right. was a, you know, one, one instance I did that and it didn't work out well. But every move that I made helped me advance to the next step. Now, John, you, you really learn things when you take jobs you shouldn't take. I mean, it, it teaches you so well, much, you know, you know, what? Yeah, character. And, and, and yes, that. And I think that you learn more from your bad bosses than you do your good ones. Right. Because you take mental oh, notes yeah. and, and, and you say things like or at least in your mind, you know, I'm, I'm never going to say that to someone who works on my team. I don't want them to That's feel right. like I, I feel right now. And I, you know, I think it's trite to say that you want to treat people the way they want to be treated. I think you want to treat people the way, um, you know, that you think they want to be treated, not the way that you want to be treated. And everybody's different. So I think the best managers are able to manage with love and trust, not fear and doubt. And, you know, they're able to look at each individual person on their team or their direct reports and understand that certain things they say to certain people won't work with others. Does that make sense? It does. And I'm going to say this. I'm going to go back to something you said just then about we learn more from these bad bosses as to what we will not do. Guys like me, this is where my story departs from yours a little bit. I never thought about going in programming until I got the worst program director (laughs) ever. Yeah. And, and, and I happened to do that when I got the best consultant ever. And I was looking at the two of these things and I thought, well, if this idiot can do this, I need to go get a job doing this. Yeah. And that's what did that for me. And it is a teaching thing, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. But I think we also do a lot of assuming um, and not just in mm. radio or in media, but just in business in general. We assume that because somebody is really good at their job, they'll automatically be good at managing people. Right. So what right. happens? We we take a great seller you know, off the streets and off the accounts and have them be a sales manager. And maybe they don't want to manage people. Right. Or or maybe they you suck know, at it. <laughs> right. Or or people, you know, or the last man or woman standing in a situation because other people left and they end up being, you know, they end up running the market, which they really don't want to do. Right. They just want to either be a program director or a talent or something. And so, you right. know, I think I think managing people is something that either comes naturally or it doesn't. It's usually not something it's instinctual. It's not something that's taught, you know. And I will say this, too, for anybody who listens to this forever as our podcast, okay, Uh, if you're a bad boss, I swear, I think you can change that. You just have to have the will to do it. You do. And you have to learn from your mistakes and and you can do that. Here is a question I think that I think most people are interested in um, from you specifically. Let's say that I work in radio somewhere other than iHeart. Okay. Let's say that it's my goal to work for iHeart, right? Like you had those goals at 25 and 30 and 30. Okay. So it's now my goal to work for iHeart or to work for you, God forbid for you. Right. So I'm, I'm in Columbus, Ohio, or I'm in Santa Barbara, California, or wherever. And we all know that times are challenging. We, we know that radio looks different than it did five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. How do I get a John Zellner's attention, or if I work for iHeart and I want your attention in a positive way, how do I best get that today? 
Yeah, I think I'm probably one of the most accessible people um, just because there were a few people that took the time to return my calls back in the day, as I mentioned earlier. Right. And, and so I, you know, you know, if Bob Pittman is able to return everybody's emails, then we all should be able to do that. You know, so is that true that he returns everyone's email? Of course. Of course. Of course it is. <laughs> well, and so do I. I mean, I, it's not, it, right. you know, listen, I think it's good business, um, but I think it's a common courtesy, you know, and I. That's right. I just, you know, we have a great job site at iHeart that lists all all of the openings, you know, but but I'm I'm pretty much a sure thing, you know, so so feel free to 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 reach out. I mean, when I when I meet people at conventions and they say, you know, hey, I, I reached out when you were in Boston or in Phoenix or in Kansas City, you know, and sent you my stuff. I always say, did I get back to you? And they say, not only did you get back to me, but we had a conversation, which I probably can't remember, but we had a conversation about my my job and my career and what I needed to work on. And, you know, again, I just I, I think that's so important because it's a, uh, so crucial that young people in our business are excited about our business. Certainly it's right. changed. The opportunities are different, but if we're not attracting new new people, um, you know, I constantly say to my team that mm. the next great idea is not going to come from somebody in this room. You know, it's going to come from someone who, who uh, is a lot younger and who uses our medium probably differently than we used it back in the day. And thinks about it differently than we do. Now, of John, I, I'm going to say two things to you just because of everything that you just said. Number one, uh, you and I both know that there are a lot of people in managerial positions that don't return email every day. There are yeah. a lot of people in managerial roles who do not call people back, you know, and especially with the struggles going on in our business, it is disheartening to some people. And number two, I'm going to say this to you, you know, Annalise is right here. We can see her. She's going to call you, buddy. <laughs> I mean, I'm right. you I'm know, she's going to call you. That's going to happen. I'm telling you. Norfolk right. is a great market. So I'm right. glad you're having fun there. And at least enjoy right. it. Well, listen, I, I love that you are involved and that you have been involved, not just that you're involved now as part of a business thing, but you've been involved with Children's Miracle Network. Yeah. I have an awesome kid myself who is a leukemia survivor. I, I tell anybody who is a part of raising money to fight kids cancer you you just have no idea and i didn't when i did saint jude radiothons i had no idea what this was like i would hear parents say oh i'm so fortunate because this has happened and you're like what are you talking about this is crazy yeah. Yeah. but once you've had the experience you just feel differently about the nurses about the doctors and listen to this you feel differently about people who will go out of their way to raise money for St. Jude, for Children's Miracle Network. Uh, children should not have cancer. Okay. No. Now, now, listen, how did you personally get involved with Children's Miracle Network? Yeah. So um, almost 30 years ago, there was a guy named Bob Lind who was the head of CMN. And, um, you know, he called me and wanted to get together. And I remember I was so busy at the time, I almost didn't even take the meeting. But after sitting with him for just a few minutes, you know, my skepticism quickly turned into enthusiasm. Um, you know, I've, I've always thought that radio is about storytelling. 
And yes. what what better way to strengthen the emotional connection to our listeners than to raise money for sick and local kids? And and, you know, hosting these radiothons to this day um, is one of the most exciting parts of my job. It's really when you see just how powerful our message is and how connected our personalities are to their communities and and how invested our listeners are in our brands. Um and I can remember one of the first radiothons I did back in Kansas City. Uh, we were actually, you know, of all things, in a Walmart parking lot. Um, <laughs> you know, and I, and I love Walmart, but you know, in Kansas City in the middle of April, it's not uncommon for the skies to get Ooh. that grayish orange hue and the tornado warning sirens go off and, nice. and you know I'm, fr I'm freaked out about the equipment and if i get one scratch or or a drop of rain hits the console the chief engineer is going to lose his mind um you know and then of course the police sirens start driving around with megaphones everyone get inside the sirens are going off you know um and so uh, we're back in the back of Walmart and I'm thinking I'm going to die in the lingerie department of a Walmart sure. in Kansas doing a radio. Fun. So, so after about an hour, I remember this vividly, the skies cleared. We took the broadcast back outside and this man was driving up and he stopped off to make a donation. He heard us broadcasting while he was driving home from the hospital and he'd, he'd been up all night. He told us that his name was Joe and his wife had just given birth to a baby girl a few hours earlier named Zoe um, at Children's Mercy Hospital down the street. And he told us that his daughter was in ICU. He didn't understand why. And the doctors explained every, everything to him, but he couldn't really comprehend. He never thought it would happen to him. And his voice was shaking and he was trembling yeah. as, he, yeah. as he spoke with the morning show. And he asked us and our listeners to pray uh, and to give him the hope and the courage that he needed. And we asked him to call us and let us know like what happened. And, you know, he, he didn't call. We didn't get his number. He just dropped you know, he dropped $20 off and and we didn't really have a last name or address or any way to reach him. We aired the interview a few times, hoping that he would call in and sure. he didn't. You know, all we knew was that his name was Joe and his daughter's name was Zoe. So a year goes by and we're getting ready to do the Radiothon again. And we found the interview and we all wondered what happened to Zoe. So we created one of those montage songs with the interview to I Hope You Dance. Um, and exactly one year to the day at about the same time at the same Walmart, the same car drives up and Joe gets out and he gives us a birthday cake with one candle. And we look mm -hmm. in the back seat and we see Zoe in her car seat smiling and waving and she's totally healthy, you know, and and so that story Wonderful. is so vivid in my mind. And and, you know, Jim and Zoe kind of represent all that is courage and all that is hope. And, you know, it, it's when it really hit me that what we do with the radiothons for children's hospitals it's not just local it's not just great radio but it's really really special well it's the storytelling too and i hope everybody picked up on this too that that habits are really a big deal that guy showed up at the exact same time yep. with the same car <laughs> you know what i'm saying it was like clockwork so, yeah yeah and look i i also think that those of us doing radio we forget about the insane power of the story and radio yep. and our connection with listeners. And something like a Radiothon really brings that to the foreground. You walk away from that with your a full heart, right? 
Well, you have to be able to lose the rules of radio, too, during a radio phone. And that's one of those things is that, you know, many, uh, you know, corporate folks or, you know, program directors, they look at uh, Radiothon differently. If you can't lose the rules of radio for, you know, 48 hours or 24 hours, depending on how long yeah. you do it, you've got bigger problems. Um, so, you know, they have to be willing to think about it a little bit differently. But, but I can tell you that when we, you know, did the radio thon last year in the middle of a pandemic uh in new york you know mm -hmm. our listeners brought in 1.4 million dollars in 14 hours um, nice. and and it, you know it's it's really it's really it's not even about the money i mean it's not sure it's about the money but it, no one remembers what the total is except the people that work at the radio station the people who work at the hospital right the right. listeners don't right. really care but i can tell you that when we did the analysis and, you know, looked at the highest point of listenership during the week, it was right in the middle of a story song, right? So there are ways of doing these events that are PPM friendly, uh, where you can actually improve the ratings uh, and certainly improve uh, how your station and brand are viewed in the market. And you know this, compelling is absolutely compelling. You can't turn yep. away. Absolutely. Listen, now we've all experienced this COVID-19 or we continue to experience it, and yet life goes on. I want to know from your perspective, because I saw the photos, what was it like for you to be at Morning Show Boot Camp this year? Yeah, I mean, certainly it was great to see everyone. Um, you know, mm -hmm. I think that event has become much more positive in recent years. I think it used to be where the talent would just sit around and bash corporate people. And I think that's <laughs> changed a lot, right? Right, um, right. It's turned into a really strong exchange of ideas, you know, but, it, you know, there have been a few... Uh, things that have happened over the past few months. We, we did an event with Coldplay where I, you know, saw some radio folks and everybody was vaccinated to get in. Uh, certainly we mm -hmm. had the iHeartRadio Music Festival in Vegas over the weekend. But, um, you know, it's interesting when you do these events, it's sort of a taste of what the world could be like again, you know, and it's, yeah, uh, right. it's sort of it sort of plays with your emotions a little bit because you come out of those events and you put your mask back on and you're back in the real world. And Man, I wish this didn't have to turn into a political situation. It's a oh. it's a health crisis, you know. <laughs> I, no I doubt. Don't, I don't understand why why it became a political situation. You know, John. I think it's hard for a lot of us to understand, but uh, that's that's way beyond all of our pay grades tonight yep. to figure out exactly the, the political fracturing of the country and all that. Listen. Yep. Uh, Talk to us about something that might be intimidating for us outside of iHeartMedia, okay? What is the most exciting thing about working inside iHeartMedia today? What, what's yeah. going on over there? It it has to be the people. I mean, everybody at iHeart works in, in real time at, at lightning speed. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we try to limit the number of uh, participants in some of the meetings or teams calls uh, to ensure that they're productive and to try to be considerate of, every, of everybody's time. But but I mean, we we communicate quickly. Uh, we have quick follow through between departments. And and I am amazed sometimes at the speed that we're able to deliver national and local content to our listeners at a massive scale you know so so a few years ago bob challenged us to uh, you know examine and look at our infrastructure by using the latest technology uh, to make our teams work easier and more impactful and efficient um, and it's really had a tremendous impact on our workflow and how we deliver content 
to our listeners, right? So, so we thought about it. And, you know, if you were building a media company with 850 local radio stations today, you know, how would you do it, right? You would gather the mm-hmm. best music schedulers, the best research people, the best imaging and the production specialists, the best data experts, um, you know, and the best talent. And you would let them focus on what they do best, but they could really be based anywhere. Um, you know, when you would combine that team with a group of programmers and air talent and salespeople all across the country where they would deliver the best local impact. And I think together, um, you know, our goal is to ultimately deliver the best experience to our local communities. But it doesn't necessarily mean that all those people have to live in that particular city. That's right. And listen, I think sometimes, you know, look, Probably everybody on this live event has been in a radio station, has done different jobs in radio station. And and you think, all right, you know what? I I know how this works. (laughs) I know how this works. But but to spread that across so many radio stations to get movement to be, in some cases, really coordinated is a huge responsibility. And it's not one that isn't shared. In other words, you've got a whole bunch of people on your team that are responsible for certain positions and certain things. Uh, That that's really challenging for people to understand just the the girth and the size of something like iHeart, right? Yeah, but I think what's happened over the years is that people, like I spoke about earlier, people have ended up doing jobs or parts of their job that they didn't really like or they weren't very, very good mm-hmm. at. Right. So so right. Like, think back to when I was a program director in Kansas City. I had a music director. I had a full on air staff. I had an imaging director, promotions director. I had a street oh, team. Yeah. I have so Right. And so over the years, we've cut and cut and cut where now, you know, the job of the program director is doing all these other things that he or she may not want to do or isn't good at. And so what we've done is we've gotten that person, all of the assistants back. They just may not be down the hall, but they're a team's call away. And so he or she doesn't have to do all the stuff they don't like or they're not good at because we take care of that for them. You know, know, it's really interesting. You say that last week on this very live event, we had Dale Carter and Dale Carter's with KFK up in Kansas City. Uh, Absolutely. Dale in Kansas City. Yeah. Yeah. And so Dale, you know, told us, he goes, let me tell you a story. He goes, uh, when I first began this job, we had 15 full timers, 11 part timers. Uh, Today we have three. Uh, We had a big morning show today. It's just me. So there has been a lot of re reassessment is that the right word john well <laughs> for what's yeah, been but going I think, on but here's the thing though i mean again i don't know what happens at kfkf we don't own right. the station but That's i can right. speak to the fact that that there haven't been live jocks on many of our stations on nights and weekends for years now there are we actually have talent on our mm-hmm. radio stations who are doing partial scores of, of of sporting events on sunday boy that sounds super cool right and, yeah. and so again it doesn't matter you know right now our news center uh you know is actually set up we have more people working for us than than there are at cnn or npr right but you wouldn't think that if you listen to our 
newscasts a few years ago because, you know, what would happen was the guy or gal would would like pre-tape the news on a Friday. They would put them in and they would leave and God forbid something important happened. Now our news is covered throughout the day, throughout the night, throughout the weekend. They may not be down the hall, right? But but, but right. someone is going to be keeping it updated and keeping it fresh. And it's the same thing with our on-air sound. So from our smallest markets up to New York and Los Angeles, there are live bodies in the studio at all hours of the day, night, and weekend. First time, you know, in probably 20 years for some of these markets. And look, those things are reassessments too, right? Where yeah. somebody smart or a team of smart people said, hey, you know what, this isn't right and we can fix it and here's how we can fix it, right? Well, we use technology to our, our advantage uh, as opposed to burying our head in the sand and saying, well, we'll just have to eliminate some more positions. It's like, well, no, <laughs> you know, we, right. have, we have to, you know, we have to figure out the best people to fit in these roles. Right. And, and instead right. of one person scheduling one music log on one radio station, maybe that person is scheduling five or six music logs. Right. Uh, but yeah. they're good at it and they love it and they enjoy it, you know as opposed to finding someone who would rather be on the air or would rather be writing imaging and they don't even know how to run selector. You know? mm, and and right. so, so you take any job that exists in our business, people tend to gravitate more toward what they enjoy doing and what they're good at. Well, and if you're smart, you want people who are in roles that they are passionate about and they're excited about. So listen, yep. you heard Heather earlier talking about mentors. We do this all the time in the encouragers. Yep. Do you have a mentor that stands out above the rest? And if so, can you tell us, um, you know, one way in which this person may have improved you, improved your life, improved your career? Yeah, I had several. I mean, you know, again, Bob Pittman always talks about the math and magic or the arts and science. Um, I had the best of both worlds when I was younger. Uh, I became a first time program director when I was 25 and I learned all about the science from Guy Zapolian. Um, hmm. Guy taught me how to analyze research and work selector and, you know, basically look at everything that we're doing from the science perspective and make it perfect. And then I learned all about the art from a man named Dave Robbins, who was my program director at WNCI. And he, you know, understood man. how to make everything we do sound larger than life. And, and uh, I worked against him and I worked for him. Uh, and, and just, again, so I bet one of those energy. was more fun. Well, I mean, listen, they were both completely different individuals who actually worked together right. at Nationwide, but their skill sets were so vastly different. No. But I just yeah. was a sponge and just and just got so much out of both of them. You know? Well, I was going to say with those two mentors, man, you you really loaded up on the good fortune. Yeah, yeah <laughs> seriously. Yeah. And, and well, by the way, yeah. You know, I think a lot of people think of Guy Zapolian as kind of this wizard guy who's all art. And I'm just going to tell you, uh, next Friday, we're doing this event with him about teaching people to do music. He ain't that guy. He is all about the science. and he. Yeah. But he's got art to it, too. You know, he talks about his ears all the time. But he's never far away from research. 
Exactly. No, that's that's how we, I mean, listen, I that I, I became the music scheduling person I am today because of Guy, um, you know, but I also I, I get I get jazzed out of out of coaching talent and coming up with amazing mm-hmm. on air promotions like we did in Kansas City and Boston back in the day. And to this day, trying to get creative and and just and just making everything we do sound larger than life. But what but what Dave taught me is you don't want to act like you're trying too hard. Right. You want to avoid mm-hmm. Those unsubstantiated claims like best and most and favorites and, you know, anything that you say is great is propaganda. If a listener says it, it's believable. Right. And that's one of the things that Dave said. He really taught me about FOMO, which is a big thing with Bob. So is it really? That's interesting. He arrived. Oh, Bob is Bob's the, all about he, the FOMO. What he arrived do, right? on the scene earlier. Right. Than everybody yeah. else. That's really sure. good. Exactly. All right. So, look, we talked to Joe Bell. You probably know Joe. Uh, yeah. We talked to him on the Encouragers. We asked him about his favorite format. This is our our getcha question, right? So, yeah. I love doing that to see if you really have one. What about you? Do you have a favorite format today? I really don't. I mean, I've always been a fan of Top 40. I've always worked in Top 40. And, you know, there are ups and downs in the format. But my music of choice is really all over the place. And we, you know, there's obviously there's 850 radio stations. There's probably about 40 different formats. But if you listen to the iHeartRadio app, I mean, there's a ton of really interesting uh, formats, you know, that you can listen to. Lost 80s is a channel I love. Uh, Coffee Shop Radio is a channel I love. I love the Heart Radio Cafe. Um, you know, I love I love Yacht Rock Radio. I mean, there's a you know there's a whole mm-hmm. slew of different of different formats which probably wouldn't work on mainstream broadcast radio. Um, you know, but but Top Forty has always been um, that's my go to format. Do you feel like radio is too risk adverse in 2021? Um, I don't know. I hope not. I mean, I think that obviously everything we do. Uh, has to make financial sense because it's a business. We're not in a nonprofit situation. Um, But I still think that, um, you know, given the right opportunity that we're able to take chances, we certainly, you know, launch formats Sometimes we certainly try to, you know, research them and and certainly they have to make sense from a financial perspective. But I don't know. I I, I think I think there are there are enough people in our industry, both from the talent side and the programming side who aren't adverse to taking risks. I think Bob is not right. I mean, he's you know, he he, he constantly says, you know, if if you uh uh, you know, if you try 10 things and, you know, f- and, and five of them work, you're batting 500. You know? <laughs> oh, I think that's right? a pretty smart thing to say right there because it's really true. I mean, right. when I started learning investing, I, I got to this percentage that if you're a really amazing investor, you're right 47% of the time. And I'm like, wait, what? Right. What? If you're really right. good and you know, I'm not really good. It, people like Warren Buffett <laughs> are really good. So you're like, that's scary, but it's true. That's yeah what the payoff is. So, so look, I, I also want to say this, that innovation is not just about doing crazy things. So I need to be clear about that here on the encouragers. It's not just doing crazy stuff. It's also, you gotta, you gotta deal with the business while you innovate at the same time. Talk to us about the future of radio for a minute. I've, I've heard you talk a little bit about using artificial intelligence with music. We all know that this technology is fast moving. What do you see from your chair at iHeartMedia about the future of our business? Where's this going today? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, we are you know constantly maximizing our investment in data um, and technology to really fully utilize the assets that we built. And and you know, I talked about the about the data point technology, and you know, but I think at the end of the day. Uh, human music curation uh, will <laughs> will overshadow AI, right? Um, you right. know, certainly the data will dictate uh, what what songs we play on music stations, and you know, we certainly will research and do focus groups on uh, what kind of content people enjoy. But at the end of the day, there are three things that radio has that will always set us apart. And it's discovery, surprise, and companionship, right? Discovery, yes. two-thirds of the country uh, still loves to discover music on the radio first, right? Because right. it's set up by a human. And if you hear a song on the radio that is introduced by someone you know and trust and love, you're more likely to give it a listen than if it just shows up on a playlist that you didn't even create. Uh, surprise is something that, you know, I think you don't get any surprises on a playlist that you create or a station that you build. Um, uh, but when you, you know, when you punch into a classic rock station and they're playing a song uh, that you weren't expecting, boy, that feeling is incredible. You just turn it up and you, you know, drive at 100 miles an hour, you know, and, and, and that feeling is, is really unmatched. Um, right. and, then, and, and, and then the companionship factor, Bob describes it as you have your best friend sitting in the passenger seat next to you on your way to work, but that person lives the lifestyle you live, but they're slightly more interesting and slightly more entertaining than you are. It's like your best mm. friend, right? And That's so right. that that companionship factor uh, and the two other things are what are what really will set radio apart from any streaming service or any other device or any type of, of uh, audio entertainment vying for our our listeners' attention. John, I'm really glad to hear you say that. It's it's kind of a a version of what Annalise said earlier. You know, this belief that Radio's in the same lane as streaming. No, it isn't. No, it's just totally different. The use is different, right? Yeah, I mean, the it's use. a private experience. So back in the day, you and I would listen to albums and, you know, eventually CDs. We didn't do that at the expense of radio. We did that in addition to. So Correct. when people have a private experience of listening to, you know, a streaming playlist, right, that right. complements their radio listening. It doesn't come at the expense of it. And and I think the shared experience, it's the same reason why my kids always get excited about the Harry Potter weekends, um, you mm. know, on, on the Disney Channel or whatever channel what's that channel that used to be uh, <laughs> that used to be uh, god i don't even know now but but the point is that it's a shared experience they own all the dvds they can watch any of this stuff on demand that's but, right you know it's the shared experience everybody is watching harry you know, the harry the harry potter weekend or or it's why nbc shows it's a wonderful life around the christmas time you know obviously i can watch that movie commercial free anytime but i watch well, well, it wait on, a minute on what <laughs> how how about this how about this live okay. concerts you know yeah. you think yeah. man all this yeah. covid is going to make people not go no it isn't people right. want that experience they want to belong yeah. and i think the more technology advances on us so rapidly and it's fearful to a lot of people i think the more connection they'll want and the less connection they'll actually have Absolutely. so i think that that means that radio done correctly, if we know how to do that, will will be able to exert itself very 
very well. John, I, I, I so want to thank you for being uh, patient with us and, and joining us on the encouragers. I hope you'll stick around for a few minutes in case sure some will. folks in our audience have some questions. You know, every single week we do visits with radio pros from different parts of the country. We do it for a single reason. We're here to encourage you and encourage anyone making a living in the radio business today. This is also where you can come and hear from people you ordinarily might not get to hear in an intimate setting. Talk about radio right Right now and you can meet them on our clubhouse events please do follow the people on the stage and look around the room to network with some other folks in this room as well our purpose is to encourage and networking is a huge part of doing that encouragement uh, next week monday september 27th our chicago to nashville connection live event austin huff morning show host with melissa and austin at us 99 in chicago and of course becca walls who is with the Bud and Broadway Morning Show and the Big Machine Label Group. She's going to tell us all about all of the things that she is doing. You think you've got a lot of jobs. Wait till you see what she's up to. You do not want to miss this. Every single Monday, we're here to encourage you, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on Clubhouse. We're going to open up the room in case you do have some questions for our guest. We do have a full schedule at RainmakerPathway.com. That's also where you can get free resources of all different kinds. Go check it out anytime you want to. Also, forget that coming up on Wednesdays on Clubhouse, we have something called Live, uh, I'm sorry, Innovation and Audio with Skip Dillard from WBLS and Hot 97 in New York City. As usual, we will have two guests, but as normal for innovation and audio, only one of them will be from radio itself. The other will usually be somebody who handles uh, innovation consistently. And of course, uh, this Wednesday, just two days from now, uh, Maddie Stott will be with us, the EVP of podcasting at Amaze Media Labs in Los Angeles. I think you want to be there for that question. If you do have a question, now is the time to do that. Uh, I will say that uh, we do try to keep these events to about an hour. I do have a quick question for Annalise right quick. Uh, if you could just tell us, who did you intern for in Charlotte? I know that you mentioned somebody at WSOC, but where'd you do that big internship? Absolutely. So I actually had two fantastic internships during college and broadcasting school. The first was a three-year internship, not at a traditional radio station, but at the Ryan Seacrest Foundation at Levine Children's, which Ryan's charity places closed circuit radio stations mm. within hospitals. And I spent three amazing years over there. And then in broadcasting school, got to spend some time as a morning show intern for the Maney Roy and Loren morning show on KISS 95.1, which is oh, also a Beasley station. Well, just so you know, uh, Levine Children's Hospital, I think those people are amazing, and you probably know why. My son got treated for leukemia there, and they saved his life. So that's always uh, – I, I don't see a nurse that I don't love. I'll just tell you that right now. Listen, we do try to keep these events to just about an hour. One of the great things about our live events is that you can listen in. You do not have to ask questions. We do not make that a requirement. Uh, thank you for joining us every Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific for the radio rally. Remember, if you know somebody that you think would be excellent – 
to be a guest on our live event, email me. Don't stay on the sidelines, F-O-R-D at RainmakerPathway.com. I hope that you have a great week. We like to say at Rainmaker Pathway and on the radio rally, once you have a radio station, you get anything else you want. A big thank you to Heather Frogmere for being a great co-host for this event. Our thanks to Annalise and for John for making this a really nice experience for us to hear from them about their expertise in different areas in the broadcast business. A special thank you to Joe Kelly for producing the Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast, which should be available uh, within the next couple of hours for sure. And you can get that anywhere that you get your podcast. And also, a thank you to JustJoeProductions.com for creating Audio Footprint and distributing the podcast. Please do share our podcast for the Encouragers, the Radio Rally, and the Encouragers Innovation in Audio with others that you know that are interested in growing their careers in audio. Both podcasts are available on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Please remember, be kinder than you have to be. And thank you for being part of the Radio Rally with the Encouragers. And good night.